0: John chapter 5, beginning in verse 40, Jesus says, But you are not willing to come to Me that you may have life. I do not receive honor from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in My Father's name and you do not receive Me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe who How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? Do you do not think that I shall accuse you to the father? There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believed Moses, you would have believed me for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe? Believe my words. Several years ago, I read a note from Joe Boot. He's the director of Ravi Zacharias' international ministries in Canada. During the Columbine crisis, members of of the Ravi Zacharias team came down here and I had a chance to to meet with Ravi and, and, and minister. In a book entitled Searching for the Truth, on the jacket cover, there is this paragraph It says, quote, Many people ignore or reject Christianity, not because they have looked at its claims and found them lacking, but because nobody has ever given reasonable answers to their questions. Others have simply heard... A clear explanation. Others have simply never heard a clear explanation of the truth of Christianity, or maybe they know little, or maybe they know nothing about the Bible. That certainly is true in certain instances, but it wasn't true concerning the religious leaders in their conversations with Jesus Christ. In John chapter five, Jesus has claimed to be the Jewish Messiah. Jesus proved his claims by revealing equality with God in verses 17 and 18. By his perfect obedience to the will of God and the work of God in verse 19. By his great works in verse 20. His power to give life and his ability to raise the dead in verse 21. His control over the judicial processes in verses 22 and 23. His authority over man's destiny, his ability, if you will, to save human beings from the ultimate death, to give them life in verses 24 and 25. His self-existence in verse 26. His power to execute judgment in verse 27. His claim to be the Son of Man in verse 27. His power to resurrect all people from the grave in verses 28 through 30. Jesus then gives testimony concerning his own identity in verse 31. He calls witnesses to the witness stand and he calls for the witness of the Holy Spirit within in verse 32. The witness of John the Baptist in verses 33 through 35. The witness of his miracles in verse 36. The witness of God himself in verses 37 and 38. The witness of the scriptures in verse 39. And then Jesus tells us that men reject Him. They reject Him because of unbelief. They reject Him because of apathy. They reject Him because of deception. But primarily, Jesus gives us at least six reasons why they reject Him. Number one, because men are unwilling to come to Christ. Number two, human beings, men and women, do not really love God, in verse 42. Number three, men are willing to embrace false messiahs, in verse 43. Men seek praise and glory, mutual honor, mutual admiration, in verse 44. Men do not believe the truth, the prophecies of Scripture, in verses 45 and 46. Men don't believe the true words of the Messiah, in verse 47. Henry McMahon said, and I quote, if God's word has no place in men's hearts, they will not come to Christ. They will not love God. They will not seek the Lord, nor will they be saved. It is by the word that life is given. Conviction of sin is realized. Spiritual life and spiritual Faith grows. And so it begins. People refuse to come to Christ. But remember, remember what we, where we left off in verse 39. In verse 39, read it for yourself. You search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. I briefly talked the last time we were together the meaning of that scripture. The word search means to seek down to the last detail. The word eroneo, which is the word search, in the ancient world of the Greeks meant fundamentally to track down using a scent. One of my uncles, Uncle Bud, he had, he had um, dogs, bloodhounds. And they could seek out scent by the, by the scent of an animal. Here, the idea is that like a lion would follow a blood trail. Or a bloodhound would follow the blood trail. They were to follow the scarlet thread. They were to follow the trail of sacrifice and blood and Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. Many, many, many years ago, John the Apostle, who wrote this Gospel, died. We don't hear the voice of the Father necessarily. But we do have the Scriptures. The Scriptures remain. The Scriptures affirm the identity, the deity of Jesus, His life, His death, His resurrection. But look what it says in verse 40. But, but you, but you are not willing to come to me that you might have life. That in spite of the evidence, that in spite of the miracles, that in spite of the testimony. By the way, the original language construction uses two verbs, one with an infinitive. Jesus says, you are and continue to be unwilling to come to me. Know what it says. Jesus makes himself the basis of life. It isn't Catholicism or Protestantism. It isn't philosophy. It isn't Calvinism or Arminianism. He makes himself the basis of what constitutes life. The Bible is filled with interesting facts and information and history and poetry and biography and theology. But if you study the Scriptures and you still fail to come to Christ, you miss the whole point. The will is stressed. Jesus says men are not willing to come. He doesn't say that they're unable to come. He doesn't say that they're stupid or foolish or that there isn't enough evidence. He says they are unwilling to come. And the will is stressed. People can either accept or they can reject the message of hope. Just like you. Just like some of you have already done. Thank God God. Most of you have accepted the message of hope. But some of you continue to reject the message of hope. The problem isn't a lack of evidence, but a perversity of the will. Jesus dares say what none of us say because we think it's too rude. People don't come to Jesus because they don't want to. They don't want to. Because they want to continue in their sin. John MacArthur writes, quote, the religious leaders refused to acknowledge their utter unrighteousness and inability to do anything about it and to cry out for God's mercy and God's grace revealed through the Lord Jesus Christ. They clung tightly to their deception about what was required to enter God's kingdom of salvation. Furthermore, because Jesus did not conform to their messianic expectations, the Jewish leaders turned their backs on him, unquote. It's still true today. If you ever have a chance, go online, Google, why do the Jews reject Jesus? You'll be surprised what you find. There's a whole set of non-Messianic apologists who say, Jesus failed! Jesus failed! Jesus failed in His mission! Jesus failed to deliver the Jews! Jesus failed to deliver them from the bondage of Rome! Jesus failed to usher in a time of peace and prosperity! He failed the Messianic expectations! But what they forget about is, well, what about all the 300 prophecies that He did fulfill? And What if the truth is that in the fulfillment of those 300 Messianic uh, prophecies that the the prophets were in fact right when they said He would come, He would suffer, He would die for sin, and He would rise from the dead, and He will come back. And all of the Messianic expectations that you believe are, are left unfulfilled, He will fulfill. The Bible teaches that there's an arrogance, a stubbornness, A hard hearted unwillingness to come to Jesus Christ. Unbelief is not the cause of sin. Sin is the cause of unbelief. Stephen talks about it in Acts chapter 7, verse 51, when he's. When he's witnessing to the religious leaders, he says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so you do. Over and over again, the Holy Spirit came, acknowledged, witnessed, pointed people to Jesus, but they wouldn't come. People hide under the term agnostic. I'm an agnostic. Really? You know what that means. A is a word in the Greek language, which is a negative, and gnosis is knowledge. It, it, it's the Greek word ignorant. You're not ignorant. You actually have access to information. By the way, the official definition of an agnostic Is one who denies that it's possible to know the existence of God or gods. Perhaps one of the most famous agnostics of all time, Thomas Henry Huxley, wrote, and I quote, Agnosticism simply means that a man shall not say he knows or believes that for which he has no grounds for professing to believe, unquote. But the human being on the planet Earth has every grounds. To believe that there is something rather than nothing. That there is a creator. C.S. Lewis rightly responded, quote, Amiable agnostics will talk cheerfully about man's search for God. For me, they might as well be talking about a mouse's search for a cat. There's a reason why mice don't search for, for cats. Because they don't want to be found. There's a reason why the atheist and the agnostic doesn't search for God. Because God is there. The Bible says that if you search for Him with all your heart, you will find Him. Jesus will repeat His claim later in John 10.10. I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. When we receive Jesus Christ, we receive life And when we reject Jesus Christ, we reject life. Look what it says in verse 41. I do not receive honor from men. By the way, there are two words translated honor. The first, if you go back in John chapter 5, remember back in verse 23 where it says that all should honor the son just as they honor the father. He who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. That word is the Greek word Tomeo. It comes from the noun Tome. The word, the name Timothy comes from this name. It means to esteem or to honor. But here in verse 41, it isn't the word temeo or teme. It's from the noun doxa, which means glory or praise. And so when he says, I do not receive glory or praise from human beings in this sense, Jesus does not want public praise or hypocritical honor from those who reject Him. When I go to church, I read my Bible. I'll sing the songs. But guess what? Singing the songs, reading your Bible, going to church. If you privately, personally, internally, wickedly, wrongly reject him, you're dishonoring him. Jesus knew, Jesus knew that any respect from those people who privately rejected him was worthless because they didn't have the love of God in their hearts. Jesus does not need our approval or disapproval. Jesus does not need our support or non-support. Jesus has made it clear that the only approval, the only honor, the only sanction that He cares about is the approval and the honor and the sanction of His Father. This might come as a shock and a surprise to you, but He doesn't give a rip what the religious leaders do or don't do in the sense of honor and dishonor. And he gives the reason because people don't love the Lord. Look at verse 42 for yourself. But I know you that you do not have the love of God in you. The Jewish people were admonished to love the Lord their God with all their heart. Remember, this is the first commandment. What is the most what is, the most, what is the most important revelation that God has given to all of mankind? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all of your mind and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. You will love the Lord your God and you will or you won't. The Jewish people The religious leaders, if you were to ask them, do you love God? Do you love Him? They would have been the first to acknowledge that they love Him. We love God. We love the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, and Judah. We love the God of David. We love the God of Moses, Jesus Condemns them in Matthew 15 verses 8 and 9 when he says these people draw near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips but their heart is far from me and in vain they worship me teaching his doctrines the commandments of men Jesus has already exposed the problem with their mind Remember what the problem with their mind? They don't see Jesus in their scriptures. There's something wrong with their wills. Jesus has already pointed out that they don't trust that He is the Savior. And because they don't have the Word of God in their head, they don't have the Son of God in their heart. But now He presents the third problem. Not only did they not see Him, and understand him with their mind or, or or acknowledge him with their wills but they don't really love him they don't have the son of god in their heart because this lack of love in their heart jesus says i know you you don't you don't love god how can you say that you know that sounds arrogant and rude and it would be arrogant and rude if it came from anyone other than jesus Imagine I said, you don't love God. That would be arrogant and rude. I, I have no way, I have no ability to see inside of your heart. But Jesus sees inside of every person's heart. And listen carefully, the religious leaders claim to love God, but their treatment of Jesus proved that their love was tainted at best and counterfeit at worst. And even though I can't see in your heart, and even though I can't see into the circumstances of your life, I'll have a pretty good idea of where you stand with God and whether or not you really love Him by what you think about Jesus and how you treat Jesus and how you honor Jesus and how you esteem Jesus. Look what Jesus says in verse 43 about people who embrace false messiahs. Jesus says in verse 43, I have come in my father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. Jesus made the claim that God the Father sent him and they rejected him. If another comes, he says, in his own name, him you will receive. I believe that Jesus is making ultimate reference to the false Messiah. This is the person who's called the man of sin. In in the, the little epistle of 1 John, he's called the Antichrist. He's talking about a man who will come, who will be an imposter who will ultimately deceive the Jewish people. Now, by the way, from the time of Jesus' ministry in the mid-30s A.D. to the time of the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D., historians have recorded some 20 false messiahs who came and went. By the way, after the destruction of the temple in 131 A.D., there was another man who arose. His name was Simon Bar Kokhba. And Simon Bar Kokhba promised liberation from the yoke of bondage of Rome and to reestablish an independent Jewish state the most popular and charismatic the most respected rabbi of that generation was a rabbi named Rabbi Akiva and he publicly declared that Shimon Bar Kosova or Simon Bar Kokhba was the one true promised messiah the only thing that's left of him and his short-lived reign are little coins. I happen to have one from the time of the revolt. The armies of Trajan came and they found him and they killed him. And they dispersed what was left of the Jews. The issue isn't whether or not imposters will come. Jesus promised that imposters would come. The issue that you should probably ask and answer is this question. Why do human beings follow imposters? What is it about the imposter? What is it about the false prophet? What is it about the false messiah that people find so attractive? It's because they present their own desires. I'll make you rich. I'll give you a throne. You can have a relationship with God, but guess what? You don't have to repent of your sin. You can go ahead and continue to live the way that you live and you can do exactly what you want to and you can continue in your sin. Ooh, that's the kind of Messiah I want. One that won't change the way that I think or the way that I speak or the way that I live. The imposters come and they promise material prosperity. They promise healing on demand. They promise everything, that you can escape this world, that you don't really have to come to God on God's terms. The imposters will tell you that the way to live is to escape life like Buddhism or to saturate your your life with pleasure like hedonism. But Jesus, instead of a throne, promises a cross. Instead of a broad way he, he suggests that there's a, a narrow way. The false Messiah comes and he offers a throne and a broad way. But Jesus said this in Luke chapter nine verse twenty three If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Well wait, I wanna I wanna please myself. And take up his cross daily and follow me. There was a preacher in Georgia in Atlanta he had one of the great churches in the city and one of the largest churches in the country and he bought this cross that cost fifty thousand dollars and when you lit it up you could see it all across the city and he pointed to the cross and he said that cross cost me fifty thousand dollars and a man rightfully said you know there was a time when you could get one for free People want to wear a cross. But they don't want to go to a cross. Jesus said, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gains the whole world and he loses himself or he's cast away? you know what the false Messiah does? The false Messiah feeds our inherent lust to protect ourselves, to please ourselves, to satisfy ourselves. But look what it says in verse 44 Jesus says, How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? Now remember, Jesus isn't interested in human beings' approval. Jesus cares only about the honor that comes from the Father. But the religious leaders have made two vital mistakes. They care what they think, and they don't care what God thinks. And that's the bottom line. And so Jesus basically says, do you know why many people refuse to come to the Messiah? Because they ask the question, well, what, what will my mom think? What will my dad think? What will my brother think? What will my sister think? What will the people at work think? What will, pe- what will people think if they hear that I'm a Jesus freak? What will they do if they find out it's true? Well, you know what? I don't really care if you know that I'm a Jesus freak. Do you know what it says in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. In Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25, it says, The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be saved. You're going to always be left with the decision, Am I going to trust the Lord? Or am I going to trust what other people think? The religious leaders had produced and promoted and perpetuated a system of mutual praise and admiration. They prayed so that everyone could see them. They loved to be in the front row of the synagogue. They loved the praise and the honor and the greetings in the marketplace. Jesus in Matthew's Gospel says, you love to be greeted in the streets. You love to be said, Rabbi, Rabbi, oh, it's so good to see you, Rabbi. You're looking particularly spiritual today. That's that's because that's what I am. Spiritual man, you can tell by the spiritual hat and the spiritual way that I look and the spiritual books that I carry. But here's the point. When we measure ourselves among ourselves and by ourselves, we make a very serious mistake. Because no matter how wicked, no matter how perverse, no matter how bad you are, you can find someone a little worse than you. Well, at least I'm not like Jeffrey Dahmer. I've never really killed anyone and cut off their head and leeched the flesh off of their skull. I've never practiced cannibalism. Matter of fact, I'm a pretty good person. Yeah. I'm a pretty good person. I'm good enough. Well, how good do you have to be to go to heaven? The Bible says, be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. So, who gets to go to heaven? Perfect people. How many perfect people are there? You would be wrong if you said none. There is one Jesus Christ the Lord. He is perfect. He is perfect in everything that he says, and he is perfect in everything that he does. And so we avoid comparing ourselves by the one person who we should rightly compare ourselves with. When we measure ourselves among ourselves, it, it, it certainly makes sense that we're going to find someone a little worse than, than us. Am I as good as my neighbor? Who cares? Are you as good as Jesus? Are you? If the answer is you are not, then guess what? You need a Savior. You need to come to Jesus. Not necessarily to church. Not to a particular religious philosophy. When we judge ourselves by human comparisons, there's plenty of room for smug self-satisfaction that kills faith, but when we compare ourselves with Jesus, we are humbled. We become dust. Faith is born and there's nothing left in us but to trust God's grace and to trust God's forgiveness and to trust God's mercy and to trust God's love. And guess what? When you're in that place, you're in the perfect place because you're in the place where you can receive God's grace and God's mercy and God's forgiveness and God's love. Human beings make two fundamental mistakes. They're desperate to receive approval and honor of human beings and then reject the approval and the honor of God. We want to be seen in the right place. We want to be seen with the right people. We want to live in the right house. We want to drive the right car. We want to have the right clothes to wear. We want to attract the right person. We want to give the right gifts so that we can secure honor and power and all that wealth gives. We want recognition and fame but this is what it says in Galatians chapter 6 verse 3 for if a man thinks himself to be something when he is nothing he deceives himself well I want everybody to think that I'm a good person why? why would you want to live that kind of hypocritical lie? because I am basically a good person did you forget everything that I've just said? What are you willing to accept as evidence that you're not a good person? I'm a good person. Have you ever told a lie? Maybe. Sort of. Just a little one. No big deal. Have you ever stolen something? It doesn't matter how valuable or not valuable. Have you ever taken anything ever that doesn't belong to you? Kind of, sort of, yeah. Well, you've just admitted you're a liar and a thief. Shall we go on? Remember, the Bible says that if you're guilty of one, you're guilty of all. And look what it says in verse 45. Jesus said, do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. Jesus reminds them that they don't really believe prophecy. They don't even really believe the Bible. They don't even really believe Moses' writings. The Jews affirmed that they did in fact believe Moses. If we, if I could take you all back in time and space and I could present you to the religious leaders, the religious leaders would pull their hair out at this point and say, we, we do believe Moses. We follow Moses. It's Moses who we follow. Really? Moses is our mediator. Jesus says, no. Moses will condemn you. Look carefully at the expression that Jesus gives when he says, do not think that I shall accuse you to the father. There is one who accuses you, Moses. Now, right at the end of the sentence, it says, in whom you trust. That expression, in whom you trust, is very interesting. The Greek word is And it comes from the noun ellipse. Um, We have a word in our language that is similar to it, ellipsis. Um, The idea is an expectation or a hope. Here the idea is do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There's one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you have fully placed Your confidence and hope, or in whom you have set your hope, they fully, truly expected or hoped that Moses would save them. That by reading the Bible, by reading Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and following the rules and the regulations and, and performing the sacrifices and ignoring the prophecies, which all pointed to the Messiah, that somehow that that would help them. Jesus is in a sense saying, I don't have to accuse you. I'm not the person who's going to have to stand before God and rat you out for a compelling case of condemnation because the very testimony of the person that you placed your hope and expectation on, He's going to condemn you. What does that mean to you? What are you trusting? Your goodness? Your greatness, your graciousness. If you're trusting your goodness. Then only one failure. It will only take one failure. To disqualify you from heaven. Moses wrote in Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 26. Take this book of the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Take this book of the law and put it beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God. He's speaking of the Ark of the Covenant, which was made of wood and overlaid with with gold. And there was Aaron's budding rod and the Ten Commandments were placed there. The Ten Commandments were placed there. And Moses says that it may be there as a witness against you. What? Yeah, so that it will tell the truth about you. The purpose of, of the law of Moses, in part, was to reveal our need. It was to reveal our wicked, sinful, selfish, hopeless inability to follow the rules. I'm trying to think of a rule that I've ever kept. And it seems to me, I'm just not good at keeping rules. Rules for me are like bowling. Do you, have you ever bowled? Have you ever taken the little ball and rolled it down the alleyway and then it goes into the gutter and you go, oh, this is so exciting. This is thrilling. It's not thrilling when you throw gutter balls all the time. And it's not thrilling to be religious when you're a hypocrite. we say we believe the authority of the scripture we say we believe the clarity of the scripture we say we believe the power of the scripture but when we fail to do what the scripture says we reveal what we really believe and look what it says in verse 46 where for if you believed Moses you would believe me for he wrote about me that's the next test i know the bible I respect the Bible. I admire the Bible. Really. If you know the Bible, respect the Bible, admire the Bible, then you would not turn from Jesus because the Bible is a book about Jesus. By the way, I'm going to ask you a hard question. Was it too much for Jesus to expect the Jewish people to believe in Moses? Was that unrealistic or unfair? No. Over and over and over again, God proves that Moses is his spokesperson. There's a principle here, one that should comfort us, but also one that should threaten us. What had become the religious leader's greatest asset, their greatest privilege, now became their greatest source of condemnation. We are reluctant to condemn a person who's never had a chance, who's never received a single warning, who has no knowledge and no understanding, but they have warning after warning, information after information, chance after chance, and responsibility always lies on the other side of privilege. You know the truth about Jesus. When you read Moses, you discover that the Messiah is the promised seed in Genesis. The Passover lamb in Exodus. The atoning sacrifice in Leviticus. The bronze serpent in Deuteronomy. The promised prophet in Numbers. Read further in Joshua. You see that... Messiah is the captain of the host. In Judges, he's the ultimate deliverer. In Ruth, he's the kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, in 1 and 2 Kings, in First and Second Chronicles, he's the Messiah, the promised king. In Ezra and Nehemiah, he's the restorer of the nation. In Esther, the Messiah is the advocate. In Job, he's the redeemer. In Psalms, he's the all in all. In Proverbs, he's the pattern. In Ecclesiastes, he's the ultimate goal of knowledge. In the Song of Solomon, he's the beloved. In all of the prophets, he's the coming prince of peace. In Matthew, he is Christ the king. In Mark, he's Christ the suffering servant. In Luke, he's Christ the son of man. In John, he's Christ the son of God. In Acts, he is risen, seated, and sending. In the epistles, he is the indweller and the filler of the Holy Spirit. In Revelation, he's the lamb. And before the foundation of the earth, and he's also the lion. Who reigns forever and who will return to judge the living and the dead? How could you possibly miss that? People don't believe the message of the true Messiah. Look what it says in verse 47. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Jesus is basically saying. If you reject Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3 and chapter 11, if you reject Exodus, if you reject Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, if you reject the writings of Moses, how could you possibly? Is it reasonable for you to expect that you're going to believe the words of Jesus? And note this. Jesus suggests that if you do believe his words, it makes perfect sense that you would believe Moses' words. The Jews claimed Moses was great and Moses was honorable. But they treated Moses as if he were a liar, as a man whose word was uncertain or unreliable or unsupportable. Well, how then could they believe the words of Jesus? How many people think of Jesus as a great man, an honorable man? But then they treat him as if he's a liar. Jesus will talk about this in in John chapter 12, verse 48, where He will say, He who rejects Me and does not receive My words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. I had no idea. Yes, you did. I had no idea that all of reality and all of life and all of living and all of love was going to be based not on being a Catholic or a Protestant Arminian or Calvinist that all of life all of reality all of salvation would find itself firmly rooted in the identity and the mission the death and the resurrection of Jesus Jesus made at least several things abundantly clear number one that it's possible to read the scriptures in a wrong way that's what he accuses the religious leaders you read the scriptures but you're reading it wrong the religious leaders read the Bible. The religious leaders claimed to love God. The religious leaders claimed to love His Word. But they read the Bible with a closed mind. They read the Bible and they didn't find the Savior. They read the Bible to find support. Support for their false ideas and their false positions. They didn't really love God. They loved their ideas about God. They didn't with humility search the Scriptures and find the Savior. They searched the Scriptures and then they perverted and twisted and used the Scripture to defend a failed theology which they themselves had fabricated. You want to know how we know that? Because they would take Jesus. And they would falsely accuse him. And then they would murder him. We run the same risk. Do you read the Bible to prove your beliefs? Or to test your heart? We live in a world where unbelief and apathy and deception form a willing coalition to keep people from Jesus and keep People marching towards hell. I'm reminded of a story. Many, many years ago, there was a wealthy Chinese businessman who made a trip to England. And he discovered and purchased a powerful telescope or microscope. And when he got this microscope, he absolutely loved it. He he loved looking at flower petals under his microscope. He loved looking at exquisite rock crystals he was amazed at the beauty and the details that such small things could bring and he decided to take the microscope back with him to China and one day he thought he would do a little experiment he took some of the rice that he was eating in his bowl and he put it under the microscope and when he started to focus in he noticed that on his rice there were Little tiny microscopic creatures crawling all over his rice like little tiny maggots. And this man loved rice. He ate rice for breakfast. And he ate rice for lunch. And he ate rice for dinner. And he was overwhelmed He he was really fond of rice and he he wondered what he would do. And finally, he concluded that the only thing that he could do was to take the microscope and smash it into a thousand tiny pieces. And then he picked up the bowl and started eating it. And that's what a lot of people do with the Bible. Bible. because it begins to expose the things that they don't want to see. It reveals the things that you don't necessarily want revealed. And then it calls you to draw a conclusion about the identity and the mission and the destiny of Jesus. Most people don't burn their Bible. They just close it. and they put it in a place where they don't have to look at it. Where it won't challenge them. Where it won't convict them. Where it won't convince them. Do you know why people reject Jesus? Unbelief. Apathy. Deception. They're okay to continue to live in their deluded little world, distancing themselves from the claims of Christ and the reality of His love. And Jesus says, what will it take? What What are you willing to accept as evidence that I love you and that I'm willing to forgive you? And I'm willing that you could have life Instead of death. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Lord we pray. For that person. For the person Lord who. Has run out of excuses. To reject you. And who's finally left with that ultimate excuse. I just don't want to follow Jesus. I don't. I want to accept Jesus. I don't want to turn from my sin. I want to continue in my sin. But Lord, I pray that somehow, some way, You would speak to their heart. Lord, I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, You would issue the invitation one more time. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Believe that I am who I say that I am. Believe that a loving Jesus will forgive you and restore you to a right relationship with God through Christ. Refuse the false gospel that if you're good enough and smart enough and that in the end you'll be fine. Or that there's one more chance that you can put off till tomorrow what needs to be done today. But, Lord, we know that tomorrow isn't promised to any of us. So, Lord, again, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would call men and women to yourself so that they would be saved and not lost. And if that's you and you know you need to have a right relationship with God and you don't, the witness of the Spirit inside of you has said, I need to receive Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. Just slip up your hand and I'll pray for you. You don't have to leave empty. Praise the Lord. You don't have to leave alone. You don't have to leave in the dark. You don't have to leave not knowing the future. Anyone else? This is about your life and about your future. This is about heaven. I'm not asking you to come to my church. I'm not asking you to believe, quote unquote, my way, but I am asking you to make sure that you have friendship and fellowship with the living Lord Jesus. Do you? Praise the Lord. Just one more moment. Heavenly Father, for these who have raised their hand, Lord, I pray that you would again remind them of your love, your willingness to forgive them. Lord, I pray that they would confess Jesus Christ as Lord. I pray that they would turn from their sin fully and forever and that they would fully and finally trust Jesus for safety, for forgiveness, for security, for assurance. Lord, I pray that You would place within them a desire, a a love for the Word of God, for the Son of God, for the people of God, For the things of God. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's stand.